Okay, welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B. Uh, we're not actually in a bar today. We're in the venerable halls of Droga 5 in Wall Street. Droga 5, for those of you who don't know the advertising industry, is perhaps the only agency globally that has come to the party over the last decade with something new to offer. A company that believes in the power of creative work that seems to treat its people a lot better than most of the other agencies do and has been enormously successful as one of the fastest growing companies in New York and has consistently appeared on Agency of the Year rosters over its existence. It's led by a guy called David Droga who set it up 10 years ago. Um, and I'm here to talk today to their chief creative officer, good guy, friend of mine called Ted Royer. Ted is a, an outspoken um, gentleman of advertising, extremely successful, has won many awards and basically has been David Droga's lieutenant since he set up back in 2006. So on with the podcast. This is Ted Royer, chief creative officer of Droga 5. Ted and I are not only uh, advertising folks, but we're also good friends. We've known each other for nearly 20 years, would you believe? Wow. Mm, back to Singapore, yeah, back 96 Singapore and 7. We never actually worked back together, we were, but nope, we were... But we were young and happy and... It was a good time. Yeah, it was a great time. I, I had a theory about it, which was that everyone there at the time was running from something. In a good way and a bad way. I was running away from kind of the old Ireland sort of... Everyone in Ireland used to say, oh, you can never do anything and, you know, don't bother trying. And in Singapore, it's really positive. People were always yeah. there and, they, you know, you catch people in, in, in different walks of life who were taking a risk. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I was running from something. I was definitely running toward strangeness and yeah. alienness and newness. Yeah. Um, and I love, I mean, Singapore was a pretty cushy place to live. Yeah. But it still felt very foreign to me and it was the nexus of all these other places like Thailand and Indonesia and Japan and India yeah. like it was very easy to get to those places so I was looking forward to having my mind blown open by yeah. craziness and newness same and so we, we had that's um, what I really wanted there were very few Americans over there maybe yeah, because really of the tax were. man I think right because you get ta- the, the tax man here comes you have after to, you if something like anything over uh, 75,000 or something at the time you got taxed American rates yeah. on that so, make so no, there was oh, no yeah. monetary benefit. Oh, I got, I got ass raped by taxes. Can we had, we, of course, you can say ass raped. It's, uh, it's a podcast. Um, the 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 time was basically Beatty Yards where I was. You were at, yeah, you were at Saatchi. I was at Saatchi. And I guess Ogilvy were pretty good then, and Ogilvy always have been. Too. Yeah, those are like the three that everyone's. But everyone had interesting stuff going. On. Even yeah. like Bates was. Yeah, good. I had some Norwegian crew that was doing. That's something. right. And yeah, everybody always had something going on, and you know, little. It was all print back then. It, so it was, was like little little campaigns here and there. Yeah. We were all competing. Big to get picture, in, a small, to get into small archive. logo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> archive was the thing, or campaign brief. One of the things about these uh, chats I have with people, and I have talked to a lot of people who I know very well, but I realize when I talk to them with a microphone in front of us that I don't know half their story. <laughs> so what, what, how did you end up out there? Story, What's your, what, what was your... I, um, I went to a school called the Portfolio Center, which at the time was like the only completely advertising-focused school in the country. Art Center had a good program, but they had other things like car design and product design and Hollywood stuff. So Portfolio Center was it as far as like a pure advertising creative environment. Right. Where and was it? It was in Atlanta. Portfolio Center was, is down in Atlanta. It's still there, 
great. Are you from? Where are you from? Outside Philadelphia. Ah. I grew up outside Philly in the in the stuffy, waspy, mainline area. And did you have creative parents? No, I, my dad drew. Right. He, and he was a really good cartoonist. And right. So I, that's probably where I got it. From. And when did you realize that maybe creativity was in you? Pretty early on. Uh, my art was encouraged by my parents. And my time at school happened to coincide with a big arts push. So I got a lot of support from the school as far as like encouragement. and. But I always knew I wanted to do something, something vaguely artistic. And advertising seemed to work out because I have a deep fear of being broke. And there were times that my family was you know hurting for money yeah. so I never wanted to be an artist because it never felt safe to me but advertising was like oh, okay I can be creative and silly and fun but I can make money and that you know that was pretty important in a house that sometimes you know we, we would move to these little tiny houses because we were it took me a while to realize because I went to this prep school all these rich kids I'm like oh wait I'm the poor kid <laughs> oh shit <laughs> I, went, I went over there after having done about nine years in Dublin, just wanting, as you said, to see what else the world had to offer. But you kind of went pretty quickly out to Asia, didn't you? Yeah, it was, my, it was the second year of, of work. First, I got into a place called Leonard Monaghan, which was an excellent little agency up in Rhode Island. And I loved the people there, and I thought it was just great, and the work was world-class. But I hated Providence. It was this ugly yeah. little northeastern town. Apparently, it's cool now. But it was right. an ugly little northeastern town. And then when I got the chance to go to Singapore, I wrote Neil French. Okay. We're both so for those who don't know, Neil French is probably the grandfather of creative advertising in Asia mm-hmm. and one of, the, one of the most awarded creatives and a very yeah. good mentor for so many people. I, I yeah. think he's still one of the best writers in the history of the business. Some of my friends at Portfolio Center were getting cool jobs, like Wyden and Shiat. And I was like... Fuck, and now, you know, every time someone got a job, you'd freak out. You'd yeah. Like, oh, I lose somehow in that yeah, 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 equation, yeah. which isn't true. Could have been me. Could have been me. <laughs> um, and so I thought, where can I go that'll trump everybody? Where can I go that's just going to be like a bigger headline, a bigger crazy thing? Yeah. And instantly I thought Singapore, because, right. you know, it's the other side of the world. No one was talking about going there. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go there. Yeah. So I, sent, I made a little mini book and I sent it to Neil. And he liked it and he passed it on to Danny Higgins, who I think also, was working for yeah, him. Yeah, good the, friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, really good buddy of ours. And they were working the ball partnership. Ball, I think Neil was just leaving ball partnership when Danny got it. And then when he was ready to talk to me, he left ball partnership. So it took about a year before Danny landed again at Saatchi. And he's like, I want to bring you out. I'm like, right. great. And so I dropped everything and just went. Saatchi, so were you there when David went over there? I joined. And then three months later, Dave Droga joined as regional creative director, which was really good timing because yeah. the network really supported Dave. You know. And there was a feeling in Singapore at that time that we were all taking on the world. We were, uh, we, and we kind of mirrored a little bit because uh, did you go to Sydney after Singapore? No, I went to, so then when I was close with Neil, I showed up at Cape Pasta one day and he had this little map in front of me. He'd just become the Ogilvy Worldwide Creative Director. Mm. And he's, you know, dear boy, I have headaches everywhere. Where would you like to go? Right. And I was like, South America. And he goes, You are oh, now right. the regional creative director of South America. That's right. It was yeah. that easy yeah. and that crazy. And I was like, What year was that about? That was 99. 99, right. That was 99. And so he's like, go live in Buenos Aires. And I went down there for a couple Mad. of years. It was nuts. I was, was scared nuts. of South America because I didn't have Spanish. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 I remember being down there and, and I, I know enough Spanish to know when someone is bad-mouthing me right. in Spanish <laughs> in the room. And so there are a couple of times where like, yo comprende uh, este comento. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, it was crazy. But what a city. It was a great city. Yeah. I had a great girlfriend. I had a 
killer apartment. Yeah. It's got such a uh, charisma to the place. I mean, was, they just arrived the there. people were embarrassingly nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love it. Was, it I love it. Was it. Just great. The problem when I was there was that the economy was just shit. I mean, right. there were protest marches in the streets. Yeah. Our agency got broken into, I think, a couple times. Everyone was getting mugged everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. And also, I was in over my head. I was not mature enough for a regional job where I had to deal with 26 ego-filled offices yeah. and 26 different fiefdoms and try to make something happen. Neil was incredibly supportive, mm. but I was like, you know what, I'm just, this is not the job for me now. I wanted to go work at a, play, at a great place and learn how a great place does it yeah. rather than take a struggling, or not a struggling network, but a, a tough network with a lot of problems and make it better. I didn't know what better was yet. I didn't know the habits that I needed to know yet. So I went to Wyden in New York. Brilliant. Which was interesting, yeah. But it wasn't really, it wasn't Wyden in Portland. It was New York, and I think mm. traditionally New York has always had a tough Have they just set up that, around that time? No, it had no. been around for a while. Right. I think Stacey Wall had run it for a bit. And it was good, and the experience was good, and it was you know, a, a shop that had really high principles. But it just didn't feel great to me. And I, I, the few couple times I went to Portland, I was like, oh, fuck, things are great. Like, yeah. It really is, and I still consider it one of the best agencies in the world by far. Yeah. It just has such a great DNA. Yeah. And I think New York was always struggling with that a bit. And I always, the Widen culture is so heavy that it's hard for New York to carve out its own identity. Yeah. How long did you spend at Widen? Um, I think about two and a half years, three years, something like that. And then I burned out pretty hard. And I walked away from Widen without a job, and I was just kind of sick of it all and I took six months off actually I took time off not knowing how long that would last Yeah. and I went out to California and stayed with my buddy Ken and smoked weed and just sat on the beach going I, I hate this business yeah I've been um, yeah <laughs> been, you, I, I, I think a lot of really good people go through that because yeah. this is a very trying business and you have to really set your expectations in yourself and I've done that twice and both times I've, I've gotten enough perspective to be like okay this can be really fun. And it is, it is a fun job. It is. I mean, you're hanging around with good-looking people. Mm. You eat well. You party a lot. You get to talk about ideas. You get invited into boardrooms by companies who genuinely want to know where yeah. to go next. Yeah. And I think it took me a long time to realize that that's, that's a privilege. That's pretty nice. Yes. You know, when a CEO looks you in the eye and is like, what do you think we should do? It's like, this is a, a responsibility that's, that I think you should be proud to have and I think we as an industry should be prouder to have that than we do agree so it it took me a while to get that perspective and luckily when I came back first of all I went to publicist uh, with Dave and that was its own nightmare and then it took six months off again after that because ugh but when Dave it was always with the view that Dave was going to start something I want to partner with him because he's insanely ambitious you know and much more energetic than me I'm incredibly lazy but I think we have a really good symbiotic relationship and and I, you know, I believe in his drive and his desire to be great, yeah. and do it on his terms. And I think that's really impressive. And so, well, I mean, it's worth talking it's about because I, like I that. think I know David a bit as well, and he's. I've always found that he's got great integrity about him. And you know, when he'd be at Cannes or when he'd be back in Australia, he'd always take time to spend time with the young up and coming people. Anyone who wanted to talk to me, talk to them. Yeah. I had a similar thing actually with. John Hegarty when I met him who, who would have been a real legend of mine because growing up in the yeah, 80s all that stuff they were doing they were but I went up to congratulate him because he got that St. Mark medal thing yeah. and it was like you know I was a bit nervous and I said just wanted to tell you you know you're one of the reasons I got into the game 45 minutes later on the terrace John was still talking to me and giving right. me all his time you know just nice 
good folks who understand that people are, you know... Yeah. Uh, I think Dan Wyden's the same way. The yeah. few times I've talked to him, he's been incredibly generous with his time. Yeah. And I think there's no reason to be an asshole. There's absolutely no reason. I think Dave is a perfect example of that. There's no reason to be a dick in this business. Yeah. You can be driven and you can be ambitious and you can be a really nice person. And I think that's one of the things that our culture is really infused with. Hmm. That assholes do not last long here at yeah. all. You know? And again, when people criticize Dave for having a big ego, whatever, they, I'm like, yeah, he does. But he's also the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, yeah. And you can have a huge ego and, and believe in yourself to an incredible degree and still be incredibly... I've never seen yeah. him yell at anybody. Yeah. But you know? well, there's a difference between that. ego and wanting to do great. I don't think that necessarily they're the same thing. I think we've all been frustrated by... I mean, I, I agree with you on you don't have to be a dick to be successful in this business, but yet so many dicks are. And, and all the dicks in this business remind me of when D-list celebrities yeah. are dicks to their agents or their yeah. assistants. Because there's, a, there's an underlying lack of confidence in themselves. and nervousness in themselves because they realize yeah. they're fucking D-list celebrities. You yes. know? All the ad people I've met who are dicks, yeah. they kind of have this thing inside them like, I'm a total sham and I hope no one discovers yeah. it. Where the people who truly believe they're doing something great on any level are yeah. really nice people. And, and I also think you never stop learning or understanding or you never know what's great. You know, yeah. you, you, you know what's good. You know what, you know, you, this is hopefully going to... But a lot of the things that I did that set the world on fire, I didn't... They hit a nerve somewhere that I wasn't expecting. It's you funny know? that a lot of our stuff too, the stuff that gets really famous, I'm like, that got famous? Yeah. <laughs> and then other things we did, I'm like, yeah, here we go, is this great? No, crickets. <laughs> I can use my wisdom to to try to shape something and, mm. and I think I can use my wisdom to know where not to step in. Yes. But I, you're right, I'm constantly learning. There's a lot of 27-year-olds who know way more about digital and the, and the behaviors of young people today than I do. I'm definitely the old guy in the room. Yeah. So I have to keep my ears completely open to yeah. stuff. Um, so then you came back to New York? Then I came back to New York, worked at Publicist for a couple of years, better left unsaid yeah. how I feel about same. that. Same. I'm the same. I worked for them um, in Dallas. I just I learned a lot about how I didn't want to run an agency yeah. there. Yeah. There were just a lot of choices that I just really disagreed with. And there was an underlying fear, I think, about some decisions, which I'm, I learned that you should never make decisions based on fear. You're, never, you're only going to defend that way. You're never going to really yeah. succeed and, and lunge. And anyway, then when Dave opened his shop, it was a no-brainer to join us because... Again, I believe in him, but the culture is fantastic, and, and again, his, his ambition is unmatched. And again, it was a big gamble because, you know, he, he, he didn't take a big safety net. He, nope. he said to himself, 100% I'm either going to do this or I'm not. And I just want to get this clear. Publicist owned nothing of Droga 5. Because there was the a rumor. Yeah, they, There they, was a rumor, and it was, not, it was more than a rumor. I think that it was in the New York Times. It was yeah. reported. No, and I think also, you know, the old adage of if you're going to if you're going to show, if you if you have a point of view on how things should be done, then you got to go and do it yourself. I mean, I don't really yeah. love the business enough to. But a lot of people said to me, "Oh, you should open up your own planning thing or whatever." But it's just, it's never really been that kind of high in my agenda. It's like having a child, I'm not into that either. But um, <laughs> but I don't. I mean, I'm so the same way. I never really wanted to open my own shop. Yeah. Know, Royer Advertising. Yeah. I love the business, but I don't love it so much. And my I don't think my ego is big enough to do that. Mm. But I believe in Dave, and, I re- and we're really good friends, and I enjoy... 
yeah. helping him build this place. Yeah. I, I love that role. I think yeah. it's fantastic. I mean, I think the other thing you said there, which I totally agree. In fact, I have somewhere on my computer a list which I was working with Andrew Sargent in, in Sydney. We were thinking at one stage of setting up something. And I, I wrote down all the things... I learned about how not to run an agency in all the agencies I worked <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. And I had some weird things like, you know, uh, you know, have two partners instead of four because four always end up fighting with each other and, <laughs> and some want to sell and some don't. But, but the idea we were going to have was keep, pretend that we had four so we'd keep a cash, we'd be cash rich and we'd be able to protect our employees if we lost an account, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that, you know, when you read about Drogify, there's almost a cult-like Yes, feeling about the place yes, and, and I think a lot of it is to do with maybe I'm not sure whether you guys wrote it down but you certainly have a point of view on politics and you have a point of view on what culture really means and it's not just a pool table and it's not just you know certainly in my mind and in the, in the sort of wider gambit of the industry you have a distinctive as do you know widens and some of the maybe one or two others but talk a bit about about the setting the setting up in the early days of Trojan. I think you're you're exactly right. Everything you said, I completely agree with. I think we didn't we didn't state it. It just I think it comes like any cult. It comes from the top. And David's personality again is very much he doesn't deal with assholes well. Yeah. He believes that the work, and I think everybody believes the work is the culture. If the work is good and we're proud of it, that creates the culture. A ping pong table and a table full of bagels yeah. does not equal culture. Correct. Um, it's a nice gesture, but if the work isn't great, the mission is bullshit. Mm. I think we all focus really hard on being a good partner and supporting each other, and when politics come into play, everyone instantly reacts like they're allergic to it. It's really bad. Yeah, good. So people who are political, we sniff them out really fast, and we say goodbye to them really yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't, maybe not fast enough. Yeah. It, it just doesn't fly. And again, I think it comes from the top. What you said about a cult is really true. Look at all the great agencies. Wyden, Dan Wyden's a creative. Mm. And, and that place in its DNA is a creative agency. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I was saying. Well. The, you know, when I said John Hagerty, yeah, is, is but I mean, John Hagerty was, was, was in the eighties. Yeah. I mean, I, when I said at the opening of our conversation today, there's been nothing coming out. With it, the industry has been, the reins have been handed over to accountants, and it's a drive to mediocrity and commoditization. Yeah. So you go. I mean, I spent you know time in JWT and BBDO and Publis. You know, they're all kind of the same, and they're all like the fear of change, and they treat yeah. people pretty poorly. That's demotivated staff, and actually, the people who stay are the people who can't leave. Yeah. And, and so you end up then with a kind of well, isn't that true? Yeah, That's really true. You end up with more mediocrity, fiefdoms, and you end up with people who concentrate on protecting themselves yeah. rather than being adventurous and fun and yeah. forward thinking. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Did it take off immediately? Yes. Talk I to mean, me about the first year. Every year we've grown like fifty percent. It's right. just it's insane. The first year we were, we had, I think um, David did the, uh, the Mark Echo thing. Yes. And that got a lot of splash. So it's for like, those not listening, that was one of the big, early, like, again, I've, I've been observing Droga 5 from outside the, the, the walls, but Echo uh, was, a, was a clothing brand and they did a spoof, it's on YouTube if you Google it, um, tagging, graffiti tagging of what looked like Air Force One, right? Mark Echo was originally a skate punk, basically. Right. And so we were saying, what can a skate punk, former skate punk, multi-millionaire clothing brand owner now yeah. do that still has that yes. attitude? But And that was also before stunt videos were a thing. Yeah. So it really got an insane amount of attention. It was all What year world. was that? About three? It was 2003? 2003. 
five. I five, think. right? Yeah, okay. two thousand five. Okay. Yeah, but it got on like German TV. I remember and the yeah. Pentagon had to deny it. Yeah. Um, and it was very well executed. It looked like a good yeah, like Randy kind of, Crawlman shot. They were cl- crawling under under fences and cutting fences and going over, and it was yeah. all shot from a far away. So it looked. And like the original good. version was edited really badly. Yeah, on purpose. So it looked like yeah. someone just <laughs> threw the whole thing up there. Um, but again, it was a, it was a stunt before there were those stunts, and so we got a ton of press out of that. The agency got a ton of press out of that, so that we were able to start getting invited into different boardrooms. You could say that Echo led directly to Tap. The right. UNICEF project yes. coming in the door, and TAP led directly to conversations with Bing, and then that work led directly to opening the door to something else, yeah. Puma, which yeah. led to Under Armour, which yeah. led to you know. So we are is that by accident or is not that? at all? We right. are the embodiment of what everyone goes on about advertising. That work drives business. Yes, the creative work drives a business. Every single phone call we've gotten is from someone who said, "Hey, I saw that thing. I love it." Right. What can you do for me? Right. And you know, it's amazing how little that's followed in, in the boardrooms yeah. of other agencies. Well, that's because there's not enough amazing work. Well, you've got to start somewhere. Out. Of course, you know? of course. And that's why sometimes when, when great creative people go to agencies and they say they're going to turn it around, they're going to do something great, if the agency doesn't fundamentally believe in that, they're not going to get far at all. You know? What's the piece of work that you've done in your life that you're most proud of? Um, Newcastle. I think Newcastle okay, is really great. fun. The yeah. Newcastle Super Bowl thing. Yeah. I just I, I so talk a bit about that so for those who don't during know. The, during the Super Bowl, we were marketing Newcastle beer, and we had a tiny budget, this ridiculously small budget, and one of the guys, Charles Van Ness, who's a really good friend of mine now, said, I want to fuck with the Super Bowl, but we can't legally we can't get in there because Bud bought the entire right Super yeah. Bowl, and we don't have a budget even close to it, but I still want to be there somehow. I want to fuck with it. Yeah. And so we came up with uh, the idea to do all the hype around a Super Bowl ad because there were teasers and mm. pre-launch things and all this. It became such a circus, as it still is, it became such a circus of preemptive bullshit before you even run an ad in the Super Bowl. We thought, well, why don't we just do all that and then never run the ad? Yeah. And ne- never have an ad to run, never yeah. even really make an ad. So we did all the testing before it. We did all the teasers. We did all the entire hype before it yeah. and never ran an ad. <laughs> and it was just... And the most fun victory I can think of in my career is we made every top 10 list of Super Bowl ads. Brilliant. Brilliant. Without ever paying $3 million. I think we paid overall like a million dollars at most for everything. Great. And an ad was, at the time, $3.5 million. Where do you see the industry going? I mean, uh, you know, this this place is, is, is growing gangbusters but where do you see the broader industry and indeed the world you've just got you've got two young children I mean how do you see let's start with the world how do you see the world through their eyes I mean I know it's fashionable to be pessimistic I'm super optimistic about the world I think the media would want us to believe that everything's on fire and everything's going down but child poverty rates all these things are are plummeting and look at the last century was this bloody horrible melee that this century so far knock on wood hasn't become yeah I don't know I'm I'm pretty optimistic about the world I think there's more of an international bent than there ever was Mm. the number of passport holders in the US is going up yeah my kids are going to be international kids I I think there's going to be a a, if we don't fuck it all up there's going to be a really fun interesting world for them to live in I think the internet is it's a cesspool of hate but it's also it points out problems faster than ever before and gets people focused on them faster than ever before. So well, there is a theory that a lot of the things that we're hearing about, we just, we're just hearing about them. We yeah, we're just hearing yeah, about them. Yeah, because it's not that the world has gotten worse, we're just finally hearing about them. Yeah, you know, like we're, yeah. we're hearing more about when, when people um, 
abuse children or yeah. when people are, are a weirdo, massacre in a village weirdo religious scumbags yeah. who massacre a village if anybody reads history that shit went on all the time yeah. that shit went on here in America yeah. and it was underreported just yeah. the beginning of last century you know there were towns massacring right. other towns yeah. that we seem to have whitewashed away so it's actually good that as a collective mind we're pointing this stuff out faster and dealing with it faster and I think t- look, look at how fast gay marriage yeah. accepted yeah. even in fast, Ireland Look at in, in Ireland. I know Ireland just had its first gay yeah, wedding, right? No, conservative Catholic Ireland. I guarantee it. When I was in 1970, when I was growing up, there's no people weren't people didn't even no know what gay way. was. Yeah, no way. Pretending not to. Weed, weed is yeah. winning, yeah. and weed will win, and yeah, yeah. it should win because yeah. it's awesome and it's peaceful and safe. What about the role then of advertising and agencies within that future world? People ask that question all the time. I I don't know. I do know that companies will always need to talk to people. Yeah. First of all, they'll always have products to sell, but they'll always have brands to love and remark upon. So that will never go away. So we can talk about whether TV is making a big resurgence, which apparently it is, or whether digital is a sham, which a lot of people seem to show statistics that support the ineffectiveness of digital advertising. Yeah. Who, who knows? That conversation will always change. I do know that Prudential will always need to be a brand that engenders a certain amount of trust. Yeah. Right. Looking back on your career and, and indeed life, if you had a chance to talk to your 18 or 19 year old self, <laughs> what <laughs> advice would you give I was just asked that. him now? Were you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Because it's, it's a really good question. I would, um, I, there's two things. I would not be so fucking afraid. I mean, I was afraid of a lot of things. I was worried about, I was worried about moving to Singapore. Mm. And I, I remember sleepless nights going like, am I doing the right thing? Yeah. I just wouldn't worry so fucking much because yeah. that, that makes you make safe choices which, make, which hold you back. Anybody in marketing, if they're making a choice about a campaign based on their mortgage and whether or not they're going to lose their mortgage, then I guarantee you're going to pick the safer yeah. choice, which means safer communication in the world, more boring communications in the world. And that's not, I don't think we should be making choices based on fear. I look back on the. I look back on my life and say the things that I was scared not, of most. I, really? Because I think you make choices that are not based in fear. You make. Yeah. No. I said the ones fun. that I, the choices that I made that scared me the most were the best. Choices were the best choices that right. I made. And that again, you're right. You can apply it to to work as well because you know you yeah. sometimes have something and you go ooh. Well, and there's a difference between being brave and being dumb. Stu- yes. You know, and like <laughs> just going for dumb stuff, but. You, you, I, I wish I'd learned to recognize fear mm-hmm. faster in my choices. And the second thing is, I wish I'd learned, and this sort of, I guess, is related to it. Uh, I wish I'd learned earlier that it's kind of all up for grabs. Yeah. And when someone tells you this is the way we've always done it, I, I, you don't have to listen to that. Yeah. And it scares me how much of business, American business around the world, is run on a shoestring and a guess. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. And that, to me, makes me feel even more responsible for my job that we need to make a good decision about how we help steer companies because a lot of times companies are making it up as they go as well. Well, you know? like, I, you're right. There's so many rules that are put in place. that are it's like, who made that rule up? What? There's I remember so being in India once and someone said to me, animation doesn't work in India. <laughs> okay, so there you go. <laughs> right. Right. Um, we don't think this brand should use humor. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are so many people who like to create the illusion of a process and of rules because that bolsters their position. Yeah. But it's so often not the case at all. 
the marketing business has also been turned upside down in terms of the rules that we were taught, you know, yeah. when we were growing up. They're all proven to be spurious at best and, you know, and probably the, wrong. And the work we love is usually the work that blows that up or takes that assumption and ignores it or flips it. I think there could be a renaissance in, in, in creative work because I think what's starting to happen is because it's so noisy out there and because we're living in tiny little sort of pressurized multimedia environments that stuff that stands out is the stuff that absolutely needs to be be done for brands whereas before just throwing safe blamange out worked you blamange know. yeah is that a money Python reference <laughs> I do <laughs> well Ted it's been a pleasure uh, as ever having a chin wag with you and I'm wishing you every success in the next 10 years with Drogo 5 and uh it's great to see somebody who's who, who's not afraid to, to be outspoken and, and say what they feel. And uh, again, I wish you all the very best. Thanks, Thanks man. That was all great. Right. That was fun. Cheers.